0: Read along with me. We pick it up where we left off last week in verse 9. And it says this, Then he, and that's Moses, said, If I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant, he now is God. Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Awesome. That just shows you that God is sensitive and tender to Californians. Observe and command, observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Take heed to yourselves lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous god. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and play the harlot play the harlot with their gods, and make sacrifices to their gods, and one of them invites you to come and eat of his sacrifice, and you take his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. You shall make no molded gods for yourself. The Feast of Unleavened Bread you shall keep. Seven days you shall keep unleavened bread, or you shall eat, I'm sorry, unleavened bread, as I commanded you in the appointed time in the month of Aviv. Can you say Aviv? No, there's one of me and there's like a hundred of you. Aviv. That's a little bit better. And by the way, it means tender. So Aviv. For the month of Aviv, you came out of Egypt. All the open the womb are mine, and every male firstborn among your livestock, whether ox or sheep, but the foreigner, I'm sorry, but the firstborn of the donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem him, then you should break his neck. I'm all about redeeming him with a lamb at that point. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none of you shall appear before me empty handed. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest time, you shall rest. You shall observe the feast of weeks of the first fruits of wheat harvest and of the feast of the ingathering gathering at the year's end. Three times in the year all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. You shall... Not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, nor shall you sacrifice the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover be kept until morning. God's not in the leftovers. At least in this sense. I think it's frugal otherwise. First of the first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for according to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Will you pray with me, please, as we go into the Word? Lord, I just thank You, thank You, thank You for the honor that it is to come before You and to seek Your face. I thank You for the blessing that it is to be able to cry out to you and say, Lord, I know you have a word for each of us today. And so I pray you speak fluent us, every one of us now. Lord, that every one of us, no matter where we're at in life, that we would be so addressed, so ministered to, so profoundly so, that every one of us would walk out of here saying, wow, what a personal and awesome God, whether they're Californian or not. And I pray today, Lord, that as we turn our hearts to You in Your Word, open our hearts, open our minds, focus us in You, Lord, and minister and perform all the therapy that is necessary in this time. All that therapy, Lord, I pray. And I thank you for the blessing that it is to open your word and your word being active and living, sharper than a double-edged sword, able to divide joints and marrow, soul and spirit, discerning the intent and thoughts of the heart. Lord, thank you that your word never just sits there and bludgeons us, but cuts through it. So cut through it today, Lord, I pray. Immerse me in your Holy Spirit Fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that I would disappear and then be empowered as a tool in the Master's hand. And in that, Lord, then may we have so much fun as your word bursts open alive before us. Color in the black and white. And get to our hearts and our minds, we pray, for every one of us. And if there be any who have yet to know you as Lord and Savior, let today be the day of their salvation, we pray. We commit this time to you, Lord, and as a family, we praise you and say thank you for the blessing of being able to assemble like this. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Never assume it's just true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be the final say. Not any guy with a mic or a lame coat or a Maserati or whatever the case is. Now, now with that in mind, let me put things into perspective as I I kind of take a look at this. Follow me in it if we were doing the trailer. Raised in a world where they didn't belong, but it's all they ever knew. In a very distant past, it wasn't so, but now only their faith promises echo in the corridors of hope's heart. God decisively removes them to reinvent them. The Exodus. Bum, bum, bum. Follow me on this. God is now removed... That's our low end, our low mids, by the way. Um, God has removed the nation, but not delivered them. Please hear me. Deliverance is not removal. If I were to come with a package and give it to Rowena and say, Rowena, deliver this, wisdom would have her respond, where? If she doesn't, She really doesn't understand deliverance. But funny, we can have all kinds of deliverance things and services and spins and so forth, but really all we're really trying to do is get away from something. We might as well have removal services. That makes more sense. Kind of like we're the rubbish men. You come on in, show us what your rubbish is, we'll throw it in the bin, and off we go and go and be free of your rubbish. But understand, Scripture says we were delivered from the power of darkness into the Son He loves. We were removed from darkness into the Son He loves. We were, removed, we were delivered from to. Now, God somewhere now has removed the nation, but He hasn't fully delivered the nation yet. Does that make sense so far? And what we're going to find is that this beautiful first five books, the books of the Torah... Getting then into the sixth book, the book then of Joshua, is where we finally get into the land where God could say, okay, now we've delivered them to where I promised, the land flowing with milk and honey. In between that time, there are five very basic points or events that are the landmarks that really kind of typify this whole particular process. Hear me here, we're on a journey. The first of them is that God systematically miserably defeats all of his competition while we're still in Egypt. We were in the land of bondage. We were under the hand of the master. We were slaves. And God miserably disqualifies every other thing worshipped in Egypt so that we wouldn't take it with us. We do anyways. Second, then, is the demand for an act of trust. That act where now we have to take the Lamb unto ourselves in Exodus 12, and that Lamb has to be more than a Lamb or the Lamb, it has to now be My Lamb, has to be in Me now, and if the blood isn't on My house, well then it's either the Lamb or the firstborn. But that act will see the enemy rendered impotent, vanquished, and then consumed. Third thing then, we have to learn how to live life without Egypt. Now we've been removed out of Egypt, but not delivered into the place where He has us, has for us. And so, God starts to reinvent us because He starts moving us from slave to son. And we, I mean, He, in His heart, we already are that. But Hosea makes clear, when He looked back at Egypt, He says in Hosea 11.1, 1, Out of Egypt I've called my son. Looking back at the event of this removal, but then looking forward to, of course, Jesus coming in the flesh. So there's that third section. So first, the disqualifying of the gods. Second, that act of faith. Third, then, trying to get us to learn how to live life without Egypt. And then fourth, becomes this death march. The necessity of death as the Egyptian generation has to die so a new man can enter into the place because the old Egyptian generation will not do well in the new land God has promised. And then ultimately... God then inserts a whole new people into a very needy world for the purpose of them being world changers. He isn't bringing them in. He's saying, look, I'm going to bring you into Canaan and all I want you to do is just blend in, mingle, act like them, be like them. Don't let anyone know you're different. No, actually the opposite. He says, you are coming in because I'm evicting the old and I'm bringing you in in their place. Now listen to that again. He systematically removes or disqualifies. That's the first thing. And then from that takes that act of faith and then we start to live life without Egypt. And then from that we see that generation die and then from that ultimately then God reinserts us into the world around us to be world changers. Are you following me on that? Interesting, because God seems to have that pattern in just about everything he does. It's sin, and then salvation, and then sanctification, which means setting you apart, and then God's sovereignty, where we learn how to rest in him, because he's the one who has to do the work as the old man dies, and then ultimately service, as God inserts us in to be world changers. Sin, salvation, sanctification, sovereignty, and service. Are you following me on that? Interesting, because if you look at the first five books as a whole, the first book, what do we have? The focus on sin, the initial sin that brought us out of Eden. The second book, the book of Exodus, salvation as he starts to remove us. Leviticus, God starts to set us apart. That's sanctification. Numbers, that's where we really see the generation die off in a hard way. That's God's serenity. And then ultimately, Deuteronomy, the book where the word love is mentioned more in that book than all the first four combined. He prepares to reinsert us into the world to be world changers. The book of Romans, chapters 1 and 2, sin, 3 through 5, salvation, 6 through 8, sanctification, 9 through 11, sovereignty, 12 through 16, service. God has this habit of doing this throughout scripture because it is the way we walk as Christians. Interesting, if we don't start moving like that, what we forget is that what we're about to do is take a journey. Because this becomes the frustrating part as a Christian. We're like, I'm saved, so I should be perfect, right? Why am I still struggling with sin? God's like, you're on a journey here. The old man has to die because the old Amina doesn't do well in the new world he's going to insert you in. The old Anita isn't going to do well in the new world he inserts you in because the old person was a world changer, but not for anything good. Now God's got this beautiful new person he's making out of I.O., but in the person he's making out of him, that person isn't just so they could go, yo, check me out, I'm a lot better than I was before. Now he's going to look at God like, God's like I'm changing you, listen, so that you could become then a world changer in the place he inserts you back into. This is as simple as this. You come to church, and people say, I don't want to come to church because there's too many hypocrites. That's like saying, I don't want to go to the hospital because there's too many sick people. Duh, figure out the fact you're sick too. But the the scary part is when we think I should come to church because I'm sick and maybe at best I could come out well. Dare I say, you come in sick and you come out a doctor. It's a different story altogether. God isn't intending for you just to walk and go hallelujah, I'm just well. He's going to use you as evidence in a world desperate for it. Does that make any sense at all? And in a world that says, well, we're going to set the rules, I think we should be able to come as we are. And can I just say, I'm not as concerned about how you come in as as the way you come out. So can I say it this way? If we were to have a marquee, I would happily put, come as you are, leave as he is. Is that fair enough? Okay, now, follow me in this as we start digging into our text, because it's really cool how he develops this. Now, here we are. Now, look it. We're not in that place in Deuteronomy preparing to enter into the promised land to be inserted now to be world changers. But even here, even here in the wilderness, He begins to prepare me for that reentry. I'm thankful for the fact that God initially tells me right from the beginning there are going to be battles to be fought and those battles are going to be battles I will fight you get to watch me so that we can go from victory to victory in this but to understand this whole thing isn't a cakewalk this is a journey and it says look at I must in the simplest sense I send you as a freed man among a new set of captives which culture is going to win Jesus himself said, remember that the Spirit of God is upon him, that his ministry was to to proclaim liberty to the captives. Beloved, this should be, in here right now, the culture of freedom. You say, well, I'm still struggling with things. Well, the good news is dead people don't struggle. But let me tell you, on your journey, you're going to look back at today and remember something you struggled with that you won't be in the future. Because he gives the land part by part, parcel by parcel, because if you just removed everything, you wouldn't give him credit for 99% of the things he did in your life. And besides, then you'd only be able to tell me about the God who did something really cool years ago instead of today. I love the fact that God's like, look at, I've got a list, and on that list I'm going to take care of everything, one thing at a time, so you could go, let me tell you what the Lord's doing in my life today. And so he begins to tell us here, Moses now, the people, remember, have fallen miserably. They have made the golden calf. Moses has gone back up the mountain to seek a bit of atonement in it. And he says this in verse 9, If I have found grace... Remember the Lord how He glorified himself in the last text. If I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us. And that's how this whole thing begins. It begins with this whole point of, well am I really willing to recognize I'm going on a journey? Now, the moment I gave my life to Christ, an old person died on the cross. Glory to God, the guilty, nasty jerk. And can I just dare say, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, all of our testimonies are the same. We were guilty, nasty jerks Jesus saved. Everything else is a little bit of the unique details of each of us, but it's the same story. It's the format, the template for all of our testimonies. You'd say, well, I wasn't as big as a jerk as that person. Well, that pride alone tells you something. Anyways, no, now follow me in this. He says, look at If this journey really is going to begin the way it needs to, it's got to begin with grace. It's going to begin and end with grace. Now, please understand In the devil's dictionary, the word grace does not appear. There is no other religion on earth that grace appears because only the gift of Jesus Christ to pay for our sins validates what grace really is. All grace is, is a gift. That's all it is. And understand, here's the dangerous thing about the way we can mistranslate grace, is that grace will never be grace just the same way that a gift will never be gift. If somehow the person who receives the gift deserves it, then it's no longer a gift. And yet, that's what we do. We live in a culture where it's like, Lord, I just want to know what you see in me. Wouldn't it be awful if what he said was nothing? And you're like, that's bad for my self-esteem. God says, show me in Scripture where I'm looking for you to find good self-esteem. What you need is God-esteem. You've been looking at yourself this whole time trying to find something good. Can I just say the good thing that's in you now is me. I live inside of you. That's good enough. Well, I just want to see what it is that, why you loved me in the first place. Could you imagine if he actually told you something? Think about how scary that would be. If the Lord came to Lauren, and Lauren's like, what is it? And he says, it's your hair. I love your hair. Which he gave her anyways. And then one day she wakes up And she's bald. And she goes, "Ah, God will not love me today because it's about my hair. Now, for some relationships, that's the way it works. God loves you because you're thin. Then you get older. God loves you because of your muscles and they become fat. Gravity wins. I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. And the older you get, the better you were. But it still shows you had something that didn't win. We play basketball now, half of me goes up, the other half follows. How does that work? And when I'm landing, the other part's still going up. Which just shows you how little my height is now. My hang time's like, that's it. Body's still figuring it out, leveling up. Please, please hear me. God loves you because he's love. And the good news about that is you can't change his mind because it's who he is. You're like, well, I'm nasty. God's like, yeah. You think you're telling me something I don't know? But I discovered something today that makes me even nastier. God's like, oh, you're a lot nastier than you know you are. But I love you anyways because I'm loved. And therefore, gravity, age, your looks, your intellect, your talent, even your discipline... You can't make God love you because he already did the moment he created you. You are an intentional creation made by a God who loves you and wants to dump that love on you. He's just looking for your permission. But with everything else, you earn it. Try, with all due respect, try to talk to a Muslim about what it really means to actually get right with God. There's this balance system. That's not grace. There's no gift in that. It's You work your way out of it. We can do that among some of the Christian church if we're really messed. And it's very cockeyed from Scripture where it's like, well, if you pray enough and light enough candles and give enough to this and so forth, well, in the end of it all, what you're still doing is trying to make something balance. There's no gift in that. And he says, if that's the case, grace is no longer grace. Here's the danger. And so we could so bank on that grace that we actually don't even realize the power or the value of the gift we've been given, so it doesn't change us. Well, like, it's all right. God's just going to forgive me anyways. Has anyone ever told you something like, you know, it's always better to just do and ask for forgiveness than actually just ask for permission? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Try that one in a marriage. See how well that works out. I didn't know. This could actually make, me make you cry all night, but uh, I figured I'll just ask for forgiveness later instead of ask. Wait a minute here. If we really cared about the relationship, I think we'd be a little bit more intentional about asking, does this hurt you? Does that make sense? So Moses starts this thing. He says, look, at if we're going to go on this journey, I'm not going alone. And God's like, I never said you did. Here's the crazy part. If the Lord is actually leading you, how could you ever be alone? Think about that. Because if he's leading you, you have to have somebody to lead you. they are like, I just feel so alone. Why? Because, because it's, I had a rough day. Somebody was nasty. Somebody looked at me cross on the, the underground. Kind of came in, he was drunk, and he's like, "Mm." I'm like, oh, I'm gutted. Really? (laughs) God bailed on me today because somebody looked at you weird? Could it possibly have been that that person is a backslidden Christian, sees the joy in you, and you reminded them what they're missing? Should they go, oh, I'm so happy that you remind me I'm totally in the wrong place. Thank you so much. It doesn't really happen like that. If we wrote that in a book, people would say it's too unbelievable. Change it. Now, Now follow me. So Moses goes, please, can we, can we, can we, can we please go together? Because if we're not, I don't want to go. This journey we're on, it's a journey and it begins with grace. And he goes, look it, even though you, w- w- let's conclude this, we're stiff necked people. Stiff just means stubborn, right? It's a horse that you won't, that won't want to be steered. You're pulling on the reins. Any of you like that? The Lord's like, this is what I have for you. And you're like, mm, I'm, not, I'm not looking, I'm not looking. I'm pretending like I can't hear you. Or better yet, we say, I don't know if that's the Lord. That could be Satan. That's one of my favorites, right? The Lord says, okay, I know I've got this. Th- there's this person in front of you. I want you to get up and share, the, share me with them. And you go, oh, that's probably Satan. Yeah, Satan wants you sharing the gospel with the person in front of you. Well, they're going to think I'm crazy. They probably already do because you're arguing with them right now while you're sitting in your church. <laughs> And pardon our iniquity and our sin, please. Let it go. And take us as your inheritance. Understand, an inheritance in the eyes of His son is the prize. And was, you know, Can I be just more than just something you tolerate? Jesus is the kingdom of heaven. is like one who walked through a field and they saw a jewel. And that jewel was so precious. They gave up everything to buy the whole field that jewel was nestled and hidden in. So he could purchase, is the term used. Now there's two ways to look at it. One is, well, the kingdom of heaven, then I have to go out and sell everything so I can get the kingdom of God. The problem is, can you really purchase the kingdom of God? How could that be grace? I just want you to know, today, I bought the kingdom of God. You know, yesterday I was a sinner going to hell, but I raised up enough money on support. And now I paid down, my, slapped down my check and my debit card, and woo! I bought the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, that doesn't sound so good, does it? The other option is, as God had already defined in the earlier parable, in that same chapter, that the field is the world. Somebody walked through the world, saw a jewel so precious that it cost him everything. And he said, Okay, I'll give up everything for this. If that be true, and the only jewel that's left is you. You were the thing that he walked through the field and said, Oh, if I have to give up all my glory, all my infinity, all of that just to get Hugo, I'll do it. C'est très bien. And so the Lord's response to this, please pardon our iniquity and our sin, please take us as your inheritance. Is this behold or in what we might say yo yo check this behold I make a covenant but please understand what a covenant is some would say it's like a promise to the umpteenth degree but please understand there's a word they use to this day in the Middle East you don't enter into a covenant You get united into a covenant. What a covenant does is it unites two things. We are bound in a covenant, we are held in a covenant. That's why marriage is a covenant. It's two people that are doing more than making a promise that they hope will work out, they are being bound together by that covenant. Traditionally, the earliest way that you made a covenant is you took a gigantic animal like an ox. You cut this thing in half. Imagine how gross that would be. And you put half of it on one side. You put half of it on the other side of it. And then you walk through it saying your end of the bargain. This is what I'm going to do. And if I don't fulfill my end of the bargain, may what happened to that animal happen to me. That's what happens in marriage, by the way, when people choose to get divorced. They get united, and then they're bound together. They become one, and then they're like, no, 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 we want to tear this thing apart. And what happens is they, both parts of them, both individuals become like this animal, torn in half. So when Moses says, please go with us, God could, God, he could have said, yeah, I'll hang out for a little while, see how it works out. To be honest, if any of us were God, pretty likely that's as far as we would go. Let's be honest. Anyone ever burn you and then say, please come and do this again with me? And the last time it turned out really bad? And you're like, at best, if you think you're being really good, if you're like, yeah, maybe. But I'm going to make sure I have a way out at any moment, right? God doesn't do that. To enter into a covenant actually doesn't just close the door behind you, seals it up so it becomes a wall. There's no way out of this. God's not checking windows to see which one to jump out of. When he binds himself in a covenant here, he says, look at, I'm going to make a covenant with you guys. Now, it's like, what was he waiting for? Why, why didn't he say that before? Because he had already entered into covenants with him. He's like, look, at what I was waiting for is you to be honest about who you are. Because Moses would say, you know what? We are stiff-necked people. He doesn't say they are a stiff-necked people. Don't miss that. Because we can do that in the church. Have you ever been to a hate-the-church church? I think that's one of the strangest things. That's like a women hate-women group, you know? Like, how does that work? We hate women, but you are a woman. Do you hate yourself? It's like, well, we're together, but we hate the church. Well, you're a church. It's like, no, we're a body of believers. Yeah, you're a church. Now, now follow me in this. In this text here, God says, look, I'm going to enter into covenant. Could it be any more clear that I am that committed to you, even though you're right, you are stiff-necked. Look, at when God entered into a relationship with you, he already knew the baggage you were going to bring in and he already knew you were going to be trouble and it didn't stop him from wanting to enter into the relationship anyways. Can I just say, hallelujah, for you guys, because for me it wasn't as bad. No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. Now listen, I make a covenant before all the people, I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth. For in all this nation and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. And the only way I can put this is that God makes a covenant of awesomeness. God didn't say, I'm going to make a covenant of mediocrity. What I'm going to do is kind of cool. Check it out. You'll probably go, huh, cool. There's no quite, there's no we in this. It's like, I'm going to do something. You're going to go awesome! And that's the idea. It's like, I mean, it's like, like every one of us turns into like Kung Fu Panda for the moment. We're like, oh, awesome! And what is it? He's like, look, at, I'm going to put you in a place you can't even imagine yet. You've been in rough places, but I'm telling you what, you've been a slave, you've been, you've been under the hand of bondage, you haven't been able to say, this is what I want to do, and they, they, who cares? Do what I told you. Now all of a sudden, like I'm going to put you in a place where you're going to be like, This is freedom beyond what I can imagine. And the problem is, it's so far beyond what you imagine. If something just gets better, you think you're there. He's like, it's so far from that. Please hear me. I was raised on the south side of Chicago. We talk about it. Of the 19 kids that lived in our neighborhood that were teenagers, three of us lived through our teen years. It was a bit of a rough neighborhood. Most either were murdered or died of overdose, so they killed themselves. Yet, in all of that, somewhere down the line, the dust kind of settles, and you're still breathing, and you think, how in the world happened? Now, actually, there were four of us, but Stacy Bajorgo, he's one of those guys that looks at, his, looks at his face in the window and yells at it. So you could see whether, I mean, you could decide whether he really survived it or not. But please hear me in that. I mean, when you live in that kind of world where you can just kind of, it's just about survival, and it's, that's enough, you really don't think that, you, that there's another universe out there, because you don't have time to. I mean, you don't think about land a lot when you're just trying to keep yourself from getting pounded by the next wave, and you're just trying not to drown. And imagine if it was we were in this situation, and all of a sudden, Rodrigue, Rodrigue comes to me and he goes, Brother, I have a place for you. And you're like, all right. So we get in his car, and we get out quickly before they steal the hubcaps. And, and we start driving out, and he just pulls me into North Chicago. In North Chicago, things are a little bit nicer. Guys wear ties. That's strange. Where we are, if there was something like that, we're going to do something with it that's probably not very kind. And, I mean, people are a little bit, you know, and the things are like, you know, now you can actually get a hot dog without scraping stuff off of the pavement that was, you know, let me get that for you. And I mean, things are a little different. I think, oh, this is awesome. And he's like, no, no, this isn't it yet. Okay. Okay. And he moves you from there. And we, when we move from there, we start moving into the suburbs. And we start moving into the suburbs. We see something I've never seen before. Big rows of green. They, like What's that? He's like, that's grass. Oh, okay. I never really saw that we, we, we were except on St. Patty's Day. And, and, you know, things are really different. And I start going, wow, this is really different. There are trees. And, you know, like skyscrapers are replaced with trees. And all of a sudden, it's like you take a picture and you're like, I can't smell the air. Is it still there? Right? I can't see it. And, and he goes, but this isn't it. It's just better. And from there, all of a sudden, we move from there, and we started going beyond that, and we get to California. And in California, things are getting warmer, too. And I'm like, oh, this is amazing. This must be it. And he's like, no, but it's a good pit stop. And then from there, we get on a plane, something I hadn't thought about before this and he flies us to a place like Italy. And you're like, now not only is it an amazingly, and it's warm, and it's nice, but now they're like shoving you full of pasta till like mustard chili comes out your navel, you know? And you're thinking, okay, this has to be it. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. And then he flies us to London, and here I meet you. And you go, okay, that is a step beyond a step. And for some of you, you're like, really? That was it? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> All right, well. Good luck on you there. No, no, please hear me because in every step it was so much better than the last step that you think it could be enough. And this becomes the problem what we'll see with two and a half of the tribes when God says, this is the land I have for you. And they get right to the water and they're like, yeah, but I think this is good enough. I think there's an awful lot of people out there that are going to be like that where God's like, look at, I have something so far beyond it that the only way we're going to put it is I have a covenant of And you're like, can I just have a covenant of cool? Good with that. I just want to be whelmed. I don't want to be overwhelmed. Just whelmed is nice. Because we're so used to you know. And you you see it, right? We see it on the underground. As we see the signs that say, oh, taking delight in the mediocre. And I'm thinking, really? At Angel Station, we're about to head down and they put these little quips up. And one of them said, at first you don't succeed, redefine success. I'm like, ah, really? (laughs) How about, I don't know, Try harder? Sorry, we don't know what that means. I mean, there's something strange about that to me. And then we come to the church and we're like, oh, how a little bit better is our God... A little, a little bit better is my life, and I mean, I'm not going to hell, but it kind of feels like a now, and maybe later it will be better. We're, like, we're singing these, you know, and we, 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 our mouths defy what our hearts proclaim, because if we really were honest, we're like, is this really the promise? And then God's like, well, you know what? Part of it is that that old person doesn't belong there, and I'm going to kill that old guy so that the new person's going to be able to be the kid that goes, oh, this Because if you're the old jerk and God puts you in a new relationship, chances are all you'll do is ruin it anyways. So the Lord's like, I'm going to make a covenant with you and the covenant I want to make with you is going to be a covenant of awesomeness. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to drive out the nations. Six nations we have here, all assumedly, at least from Genesis 10 and Genesis 15, they seem to be all children of of the son Ham of Noah. Probably one of the reasons why they don't eat it today. Anyways, and Notice, by the way, if we're going to take the land, if we're going to get the land, it's going to be battles. And that becomes one of the reasons we're a little bit more cautious about jumping into this. Because if we jump into this, we're like, oh, no, I'm tired of fighting battles. The crazy part is, is that if we don't tear down these altars in our own hearts, we're going to lose every other battle because the bottom line is that's where it starts. Do you remember the story of Gideon? Some of you, and what I love about it, it's like, the, it's like the biggest chicken in Scripture that God calls mighty man of valor. Really fun story. If you're unfamiliar with it, it's in the book of Judges. And, 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 and it's interesting because here's this guy, and it's, it's easy to remember who the enemy is at this time because it's Midian. So it's Gideon versus Midian. And Gideon, is they're in a place where they would kind of work the harvest, and when the harvest would come up, the Midianites would come and just steal all their stuff. And it's like, talk about how futile. It's like you work really hard, you finally get the harvest, things finally grow, and then the guys come, ah, oh, and they take all your stuff, and you're like, I worked so hard so they could take my stuff. Well, at this point now, they're so afraid that Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. Now understand, there are two very flat areas when it comes to our agriculture in Israel, the wine press and the threshing floor. The way that a threshing floor works, for instance, is wheat, the stalk, the straw part, is very light, the heads are a little heavier. So you take all of that and you bring it up to a high plane where you actually kind of ride a little sledge with pieces of rock and and so forth underneath it and it breaks up stuff so that what you have then is the heavier heads and the pieces of straw. And what you do then is you just take a fork and all you have to do is throw it up in the air and the wind, because usually at those planes, those mesas, the wind is a little bit windy there, which is a good thing for wind to be, and you throw it up and the wind blows away the straw and what's left then is what you eat. That, by the way, is called the chaff. Now, what you need then to do this is a good wind. Are you with me on that? Now, wine press is on the other side of things. You step on the grapes, and as you step on the grapes, and you know why you step on those grapes without shoes? Because the grapes have seeds, and the seeds being broken would make it bitter. So you take, and you take a thing very similar to nylons today, and you would cover the ravine. It's like there's this little irrigation channel, and it goes into a second area here that's completely covered. Do you know why they cover that area? Because they don't want a bug to land in their wine because that would make it unclean. Does that make sense? That's why, by the way, Jesus would say, you strain a gnat but swallow a camel. It's like you don't even look at the big things. You're too busy trying to make sure a bug doesn't land in your wine. Well, understand here, the last thing you want is a windy place, right? Because when the wine comes down, you don't want anything blowing in your wine. So that's the worst place to be threshing wheat because there's no wind. So he's like... (sighs) You know, I mean, imagine how hard a work it is. And all of a sudden we read that an angel appears. Now imagine, here's this guy. He's scared to death. He's afraid of the Midianites coming in at any moment. And the guy kind of shows up and he's real nonchalant. He's like, hey. Imagine, here's this guy. Who goes, ah! right? and he's like, mighty man of valor. And I think as an angel, I'd be like, <laughs> mighty man. Mighty man of valor. That's what you are. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, the Lord is with you. And Gideon's response is this Well God is with us, then 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 why do we have all of this trouble? Why is all this trouble? Why are we constantly being beat up and bullied and all this? And he goes, Go in this might of yours. You're gonna deliver this nation. And you kind of go, What? Did I read that script right? He said, Hey, old man Maine Veller. He says, Well, why are we is this all happening? No, oh, where's God anyways? And then he goes, Go in this might of yours? Could I just say, let's just remove his talking. Hail, mighty man of valor, the Lord is with you. Go in that might of yours now. Do you get it? I'm so thankful sometimes when the Lord doesn't listen. You ever have times where you just throw something at him and the best thing that God could do was not hear you? Like, hey, I'm sorry that I don't know what I was talking about. God's like, I don't know. Let's get past it. And so what happens? He goes, okay, here's the first thing I want you to do, Gideon. I want you to go to your dad's house where you live and tear down his idol, his big pillar. Because that giant pillar where all of the town comes to worship Baal, you see, if we're going to deliver, let's start at your house. That makes sense, doesn't it? And see, that's the way it works with every one of us. With what God's going to do here with every one of us, he wants to start by saying, "Well, let's go home. Remember with Zacchaeus, the wee little man, wee little man was he? Zacchaeus climbs the sycamore tree, and, he, and here's a man that's clearly, in the eyes of the Jewish people, a total betrayer, and as he walks home, and he's like, hey, why don't you come with me? And Zacchaeus is like, awesome, where are we going? And he's like, your house. Which one of you would say, awesome? Which one of you would say, I tell you what, noon tomorrow. Noon tomorrow, how's that? And the Lord's like, really? Yeah, well, I've got a little cleaning to do. With my laptop and my refrigerator and my, really, see this particular guy had a whole bunch of money that he had stolen from people that was in his house, and Jesus goes with him like, "Let's go to your house." He goes to his house, and then it's there that Zacchaeus says, "Hey, if I've robbed anyone, I'm going to pay back to the full letter of the law that Leviticus teaches me." And he's like, and all of a sudden Jesus is like, "Now, now look at what just happened here." But can I just say, as God makes this covenant, it starts in your house. I mean, we want God to change the world around us, but the house, our own world inside of us is just a mess. Does God really want to bless the mess? Okay, so let me move through this a bit quickly, because obviously we won't get through the whole text, but at least I want to get to our points here. I'm going to drive them out, he tells us, right? So what's the response here? And there's going to be two parts to it. Apparently the second be next week. The first part is in regards to what needs to stop, what we need to be careful not to do. And then the second part will be what we should actually be careful to do. Please hear me. God is not a God of nots. He's a God of instead ofs. And this is the danger if we're not careful. We could tell people, you need to stop doing, and you need to stop doing, and you need to stop doing. And what we're done with is we just don't do anything. But God's like, instead of. Can I give you something in its place? So the first part's the prohibition, and then the second part, then, is the exhortation. So here, verse 12, look at it with me. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you're going, lest it be a snare in your midst. God remember, says, I'm binding myself to you in a covenant. I really would like you to bind yourself to me in this covenant. But I warn you, as I reinsert you into this world around you, you're going to be tempted to unite with them. Listen, listen, listen. You're going to be tempted to unite with them instead of me. So I put you in the world, and you, inherently you know you can't be loyal to both. Jesus talks about that with money, right? He says you can't serve both. You're going to love one and hate the other. That's what he says. And you get out into that world there that he puts you back into and he reinserts you and you're like, I want to be a part of this. Huxley said it was a brave new world. I think he's right. This is amazing. And, and, and we get to this place where God's like, no, 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 listen, listen. Friendship with the world is hatred with me. That's what James and John both tell me. Is that really what I want? And he goes, look, you need to be careful. Interesting. The word for take heed here. Here's another Hebrew word. I want to challenge you to say it loud. The word is shamar. Try it. Okay, shamar. You know the first time that's actually used in Scripture? When the Lord took the man he had made and put him in the garden to tend and to keep it, or to work it and to protect it. Didn't work out so well there when he didn't, huh? That's the same word, shamar, To protect here he says, now you need to protect yourself. Well, God's going to be the protector, but he goes, look at you need to guard yourself from wanting to be united with that instead of me. You're going to walk out that door here soon. And when you walk out that door, you're going to be challenged over and over and over again. Do I want to be united and knit to that, or do I want to be united and knit to him? And if I'm knit to him, I will still be out there, but I'm going to be out there to change it, to influence it, Versus just to integrate into it. Does that make sense? Please hear me. Well, He says, then, lest it be a snare to you. On this journey we are taking, it is full of traps. Because I'm I'm showing you, I'm sending you into a world that is in bondage. And you are actually going to have the wisdom, if you stay close to me, you're going to have the wisdom to see the traps these people are in. You're going to watch them, hey, you don't have to be brilliant to walk through Camden at 11 p.m. at night and go, that person's in bondage, that person's in bondage. And you see Kate down somewhere between you know, Camden and, um, and the Mornington Crescent Station. And she was somebody that you could tell at one time was probably very pretty, but now she's been completely eaten away by crack. She's got a dog, and that's about all she has, and she's a mess. You got Stephen and Chris that come out here and they're so mind blown drunk that they can't even think anymore. And they're just, and they're of course they, and they'll tell you, look at, I'm going to lie to you and tell you, give me money for food, but you know it's going to go into drugs and it's going to go into drink. And you're like, dude, you're in bondage. You need to be set free. No, no, no. All I need is another tuppin'. And you realize, you walk by and you go, look at, look at these traps. And you see the girl, and she's 15, and she's wearing... I'll be honest, I used dental floss this morning, and I think there was more material in my dental floss than some people are wearing. And I'm thinking, okay, and I'm, I'm not trying to sound like I'm 90, but let's be honest. And, and, and the girl, and she's like 15, and you just know the girl is advertising, and that's bondage. And she wonders why people are staring at her body parts when they all kind of have neon signs with arrows. And I'm not trying to say that it's right for the men to do that, but I'm also saying it's not right to advertise either it's bondage and you watch the guy and he's got that bright look on his face and he walks into one of those places because the odds are 10 to 1 5 10 20 30 minutes later he walks out and his shoulders are stooped because he knows he has to go home and try to explain to his wife where all that money went it's bondage He goes, look it, if you want to unite to that, you're going to unite to those traps too. You're going to unite to all of those things that take them down. Can you see why I'm putting you in there to change this? So here it is. Yasmin has been given vials and vials and vials of penicillin for a place in Africa where people are dying right now and one injection will transform them. And she goes there and she sees them suffer and she sees them groan and she sees them moan and her heart aches and she looks, but there's a part of her that realizes the entire community is this. And she realizes if I go in with my vials, they're going to laugh at me and point because I'm different. So she has two choices. Does he choose to discard all of the penicillin so she could become like them and just get sick? Or does he seek to administer the, be- the benefit of what she's been given to bless and see these people healed? Because inside, there is an appetite gave- God gave us for fellowship. And if we don't have Christ, hear me, hear me, please. If we don't let Christ meet that fellowship need, we'll seek it in the traps. And if you're single here, and you could say, look, you're married, I've been married for almost 24 years now. But I can tell you right now, if I sought for my wife to fulfill a hole that God created for him, it would be be murder to her. If you cannot get that hole filled by the one who created it, that's only his size. If you cannot get validated at the cross where God showed how important you are to be the jewel for which he gave everything up to purchase, you will never find it anywhere else. And whether you're single or you're married, and I think there are more guys out there that are married looking for a date than people who are single these days, because every one of them is just as empty, and it's a trap, I tell you. So what do we need to do? Verse 13, he says, then, destroy the altars, break down the sacred pillars, and cut down the wooden images. And you're probably aware, and I don't want to be crass, When we're talking about wooden images or sacred pillars, we're talking about giant body parts propped up. And that's what people danced around and worshipped. To this day, they do that. They just don't usually make it a big thing. They just do it on the Internet. And can I just say, in the simplest sense, we are declaring war on our culture. But please hear me. The war we're declaring has to be in our hearts, not like we need to go out there and just start shooting people because the craziest thing in the world is if we want them to know Christ, why wouldn't we want to send them there prematurely? But first, if this heart isn't right, why in the world would I look at somebody else right? I want to declare war in here of the culture that I only came from my Egypt, but the world he's inserting me into to say, you know what? What I want to be is a person who brings life to the morgue. And the war, in the simplest sense, as I look at the traps, and this is what I kind of saw: sex and drugs and alcohol. Those are simple, but beyond that, there's the loneliness. Do you see it here? It's the apathy. Do you see it here? It's the pride that even if you were dying, you wouldn't ask for help. Do you see it here? I used to say in America, a man would leave his wife for another woman. Here, a man will leave his wife to be alone. Listen, they're traps. And please hear me in this. I want to declare war on that. that selfish, self-centered, self-driven, self-centric universe that we create for ourselves. You know what the opposite is? Love. It's just that simple. The war we, we wage is a war of love. But can I just be honest? If we're not careful as a church, and we're almost done here, beloved. If we're not careful as a church, we could just be that world out here only nicer. Do we come in here to get or do we come in here to give? What God intended church to be it was a place where we could receive instruction, sure, but to be honest, a place where we could have court vision, where our eyes are open and say, God, I want to discover what you have for me and how you want to use me, and this should be the safest environment for me to do it. God, show me how you want to use me, that I'm not just the appendix, or the tonsil that probably could be removed and it won't make a difference. Lord God, I know you've created me as a part of the body and now teach me how to function like it. So I want you to destroy those things. For you shall, verse 14, and let me read through it, read it with me. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, he's a jealous God. Now can I just say simply, a very simple point, you can't be jealous of something you don't want. I don't like coffee. If you won a lifetime supply of Starbucks, I'm not going to be jealous over it. That's simple. Some others of you might kill each other for it. Me, I'm not that person. I don't like country music. I have a hard time putting the two words together, to be honest. Now, if, <laughs> if you like one tickets front row to Slim, Willie, Whitman, whatever, boxcar, whatever, Hank something, with the you know, whatever, I'm, I'm not going to like stay awake at night wishing I had your tickets. The only thing I could be jealous of is something I want. And the only thing in Scripture God is jealous of is you. What does that tell you? Lest you make a covenant, notice the word again, with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods, and they make sacrifices to their gods, and one of them invites you to eat of the sacrifice, and you take your daughters, and you intermingle. In the simplest sense, all this says is this. If you're not willing to let me destroy those altars in your heart... The altars, where you sacrifice, where you seek to be connected. If you don't let me tear down and destroy those things in your heart that are the pillars. Those things that are landmarks, that are memorials of those tenants and bondages. If you don't let me destroy those things. If you don't let me destroy those things where you've got to have the tangible instead then you're just going to wind up being just like him. Isn't that what he says in the simplest sense? In the end of it all, you'll just integrate and no one will know you different from anyone else. And Let's be honest. If you were to go out there and tell someone, I'm a Christian, how many people do you honestly think will say, what's that? The last thing and we pray. From 18 then through the rest, we're going to see the opposite. We're going to see, okay, these are the things you shouldn't do. I, want, I don't want you uniting in that sense. I don't want you making those unhealthy bonds. I don't want you unequally yoked. I don't want you giving your heart to somebody who doesn't love me. I don't want you binding yourself with somebody whose whole life is, is totally against me. That's nonsense. What I want is you to you unite yourself to me so that every person you come in contact with, you're going to spray me on them as you bump into them. But from verse 18 on, understand God has the other side of these. Like, these are the things I would really love. And it starts, by the way, with saying I'd really love to hang out with you. And it starts with this, and, and, and this is what we'll get next week, but please hear me. He says, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, you're going to keep that unleavened bread, by the way, as I commanded, I appointed in the month of tender, aviv, for that month you came out. Look, at in the end of it all, there'll be five things that he says, I want you to remember, and that's what we'll get next week. But here's the first of them, and the only reason I bring this up is the day that we have today. Listen, he says, instead of all of this, Instead of wanting to be a part of that, instead of wanting to make sure you're the hottest in the club, instead of making sure you can outdrink the rest of them, instead of making sure that you could still be the hottest thing that walks in the room, instead of making sure that you know the dirtiest joke or you're the, the strongest whatever to beat up everybody else or whatever it be, unite yourself to me, please, and find your satisfaction in me so that you could actually look at that to want to make it different. Instead of running in there and figuring out how you're going to make more money than everybody else, Are you going to be more powerful or more popular or more fashionable or more important than everybody else? You were so important that the only one person in the universe could afford you when it cost them everything to get you. How much more important do you need from faulty people like us? Not even in the church, but please hear me. And he goes from there, he goes, what I want you to do is I want you to start remembering things instead. And that's what we'll get. Listen, we party to forget, but we celebrate to remember. And Jesus says in John 14, Peace I give you, not as the world gives, but I give you a different kind of peace. And he had just said that the Holy Spirit will bring to our remembrance the things that he said. Now, please hear me. Jesus' peace causes us to remember his promises, remember his word. His peace comes at remembering. The world's peace is a peace we get by forgetting. That's what we get wasted. That's why we spend six hours on the, you know, the Lord of the Rings trilogy and think that'll help us. Or all 12, you know, Star Wars movies or whatever, and we think, ah, oh, if I could just do that. Or we get lit up on speed or whatever it is. Or we just go from sex to sex to sex or whatever it is because we're just trying to escape. We're trying to forget. The problem is the bill still sits in your house one way or the other, no matter how much you ignore it. This is what I want you to start to remember. Remember the Lamb. The Lamb was sacrificed so you could be set free from that bondage that lamb was sacrificed. Don't forget, that's how this started, was that lamb was sacrificed so you could go free. And this is what we do. We break bread and we drink wine. That's how we remember because the bread that was broken is called the Lemechani, the bread of affliction. And he goes, don't you forget, you were a slave. You weren't just a nice, sort of nice person that needed a little nudge. You were a slave because Scripture says whoever sins is is in slavery to it. You were a slave and the Lamb chose to be sacrificed. And because the Lamb chose to be sacrificed, you could be set free. Don't forget that's how this starts. My question to you is, have you been set free? Have you accepted the gift of the Lamb of God? The very first title Jesus is given by John the Baptist. Look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Have you accepted the Lamb? If you've accepted the Lamb... This, what we're about to do, which is communion, makes perfect sense. We break the bread to remind ourselves, we were in bondage too. Like Egypt, we were slaves to sin. But the Lamechani, the bread of affliction, is broken before us because it's over now. Because Jesus took that affliction upon himself. And the cup is a cup of a covenant. Just like we saw in our text. God's like, I am uniting myself to you. You unite yourself to me. Not to that world that's full of traps, but to a God who's full of freedom. So first, we're going to pray. And as we pray, I'd like to give you an opportunity. Have you accepted the gift of Jesus Christ? Now, I'm not just talking about, "I, I believe he exists. Yeah, that's great. But you could believe a bus exists and sit at that bus stop for the rest of your life until you get on it. But Jesus needs to be your Lord because he didn't just die for you. He rose again on the third day to be the Lord of the brand new life that starts the moment you say yes because now he begins you on the journey. Have you said yes to him? If not, I'm going to give you that chance. If you have said yes to him, hey, let's enjoy the journey together. All we are are people that are being cleaned up from the Egypt we came from, while the old person dies as he continues to move us more into where he has for us. Will you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you so much, so much for what you've done in this time. I thank you for this beautiful text, and in this beautiful text, the way that you have so ministered to us. I thank you for the way you've spoken to my heart, God. And I know, Lord, that your ultimate goal is to take us and so transform us that you make us not just thirsty people who aren't thirsty anymore, but you make us fountains to be sent back into a thirsty world so that the world could know where the water of life can be found. So, Lord, forgive us if all we've ever thought is it's good enough that we're not going to hell. But, Lord, in that, as you prepare to reinsert us back into the world we knew, around us. Please, Lord, make us people even right now who will allow you to speak into our lives those things, Lord, that are traps, the altars that shouldn't be bought or born or propped up in our own lives that somehow we've allowed in our own homes, even like Gideon by the end of his life. And I pray, Lord, that you would tear down every altar. I pray as well, Lord, that you would destroy every pillar that somehow is propped up of pride and of power and popularity and provision or whatever it is that we want to try to unite the, to get from the world instead of from you. And I pray, Lord, that you would tear down every pillar as well and everything that we seek to be tangible. Lord, every post, every idol, tear down every bit of it, Lord, that it would make room for, the un- for us to be united with you in every way, that there wouldn't be this part secular and this part sacred, but every bit of our life be holy unto you. And Lord, I just want to openly confess today that we as sinners need grace. And without grace, we go nowhere. But Jesus, we confess that you came to earth tempted in every way, yet without sin, died on the cross, that all our sins could be paid for, all our guilt could be punished. And then just as Scripture promised, three days later, you rose from the dead so that we could have a brand new life, be a new creation where you, Jesus, are the risen Lord. And I stand here to say, yes. Jesus, yes, is you as my Savior. Yes, is you as my ransom. Yes, is you as my Lord. And I recognize this is because of grace. You don't love me because I'm so darn lovable. You don't want me because I'm so darn wantable. You created me to be with you. And in that, Lord Jesus, you love me because you're love. So I just say yes by the power of your Holy Spirit convict every one of our hearts here to say yes Lord I will follow you from this point forward on this journey knowing that you have more than simply me following you away from where I've been although that's part of it to leave those altars and those pillars and those monuments and those idols but now as well to be reinserted or inserted into the desperate thirsty world around us to be life changers world changers History makers. So I say yes to whatever your will is knowing that that's what you have. And I just commit this to you now. I'm yours. And if you agree with this prayer, I simply ask for you, this is your decision to say yes to Jesus or affirm your conviction that you've said yes. I simply ask for you to say I agree, so be it. And the way we say it is simply to say amen. And if that's you, I simply ask you to say Amen.